Good morning. This is Tommy Ray, and we're in episode 32 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. We continue our journey into Colorado's four compacts. Like many of you, I knew about the Colorado River Compact, but had little knowledge of the other compacts. The South Platte is probably the most important river in Colorado since it serves most of Colorado's population and about 35% of its irrigated acres. So let's discuss the South Platte and what the compact looks like. Much of the information in this episode comes from A Citizen's Guide to Colorado Interstate Water Compacts. There are a series of pamphlets produced by Water Education Colorado that, is, that are simple to read and understand. You can do your own research. I have added historical data that adds more color to the compact negotiations discussed in the guide. The Platte River Compact was completed in 1923, the year after the Colorado River Compact was completed. First, a little geography. The Platte River is formed from two sections. The North Platte, which originates in north-central Colorado and flows north into Wyoming. It makes a big horseshoe loop through central Wyoming. The Laramie River, which by the way also originates in north-central Colorado, dumps into the North Platte at Fort Laramie, Wyoming. From there, the North Platte heads southeast, passing through Torrington, Wyoming, and crosses into Nebraska near Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. It continues southeasterly another 200 miles or so until it finally meets the South Platte River at a town called North Platte. I know, too many Platts. The South Platte River starts in the mountains southwest of Denver, travels through Denver north to the southeast corner of Greeley. There it meets the Poudre River, goes east through Fort Morgan, and then turns northeast through Sterling and exits Colorado at Julesburg. It doesn't join the North Platte until North Platte, Nebraska, about 80 miles east of Julesburg. From there, the two rivers meet and form the Platte River. The Platte then crosses central Nebraska for about 300 miles and joins the Missouri River just south of Omaha. The waters of the Platte are shared between Colorado, Wyoming, and Nebraska. Disputes over Platte River water have led to a full array of legal arrangements. Colorado's Platte water is governed by four agreements, including an interstate compact, which is the subject of this episode. There are also two U.S. Supreme Court equitable apportionment decrees and an interstate administrative agreement. These three will have to wait for other episodes. The South Platte has always been Colorado's workhorse. It provides water to major metropolitan areas along the Front Range and serves its agricultural industrial, and urban needs. The pressure of more people and a scarce water supply 
are expected to increase as the basin's population is projected to rise from about 3.8 million people in 2015 to between 5.4 and 6.5 million people by 2050. And more than 35% of the state's irrigated farmlands, about 850,000 acres, rely on Platte River water. This is consistent with previously reported 2.5 million acres of irrigation throughout all of Colorado. The Platte was an important river for explorers and settlers trying to cross the Great Plains. It might help to give just a minute of history on the Platte. There were two important U.S. government expeditions up the Platte. The first was by Major Stephen Long. He was appointed by President James Monroe to explore lands acquired under the Louisiana Purchase. He started this expedition to gather scientific information in 1819 and went a little further than Council Bluffs, Iowa. This means he had gone up the Missouri past the confluence of the Platte and the Missouri. He returned to the East Coast the fall of the same year and was given a new assignment. Explore the South Platte Basin to the Rocky Mountains and back along the border with the Spanish colonies. Exploring that border was vital, since the U.S. had just concluded a treaty with Spain which drew a new U.S. border to the Pacific. Thus began the first official scientific exploration up the Platte, which planned to study the geography and natural resources of the area. Long's party of 19 men included landscape painter Samuel Seymour and notable scientists in 1820. After finding and naming Long's Peak, they journeyed down the Arkansas River watershed. The expedition was then split, and Long led his group toward the Red River, which divides Oklahoma and Texas, and was the border with Spain at the time. They missed it, ran into hostile Indians, and had to eventually eat their own horses to survive before they finally met the other part of the expedition on the Arkansas River at Fort Smith, now a city on the western border of the state of Arkansas. In his report of the 1820 expedition, Long wrote that the plains from Nebraska to Oklahoma were unfit for cultivation and, of course, uninhabitable by a people depending upon agriculture. On the map he made of his explorations, he called the area a great desert. It looked and felt like a desert. I think it was Mark Twain who said, the plat was too thick to drink and too thin to plow not much of a navigable river. In fact, the South Platte River pulled a disappearing act. Once snowmelt melted, it would vanish into riverbed sands from Fort Morgan, Colorado, to the confluence with the North Platte River in Nebraska. Just a bit more history, mainly because it's so dang interesting to me. In the 1840s, influential people in the U.S. Senate 
were championing Western expansion, but more needed to be known about the West. Enter John C. Fremont in 1842, another military officer assigned to explore and map the Western U.S. He was first sent to Oregon in 1842. In 1843, he further explored the Platte, and it is significant that his reports were enthusiastic about the country in eastern Colorado. His ebullience countered Long's pessimism. He exalted the shiny mountains from Long's Peak to Pike's Peak. I want to break here for just a minute to talk about the other significant name, which was Pike's Peak. How did Pike's Peak get its name? A young U.S. Army lieutenant named Zebulon Pike was asked to lead two expeditions under the authority of President Thomas Jefferson through the Louisiana Purchase Territory, first in 1805-1806 to reconnoiter the upper northern reaches of the Mississippi River into northern Minnesota and then in 1806-1807 to explore the southwest to the fringes of the northern Spanish colonial settlements of New Mexico and Texas. Pike's expeditions coincided with other Jeffersonian expeditions, including the Lewis and Clark expedition and the Red River expedition in 1806. I may have learned that in school, but I didn't remember that there were several expeditions mounted by Thomas Jefferson to explore the Louisiana Purchase. Beginning July 15, 1806, Pike led what became known as the Pike Expedition. They were trying to determine the extent and source of the Arkansas. In early November 1806, Pike and his team sighted and tried to climb to the summit of the peak. Heavy snow turned them back, but his efforts led to having this famous peak named after him. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. I thought you should know when and how Pike's Peak was named. Okay, let's now return to Fremont's comments on the Platte. Fremont's 1843 report described the soil of Colorado's front range country to be excellent, admirably adapted to agricultural purposes, and capable of supporting a large agricultural and pastoral population. The plain is watered by many streams, he said. Some of the 1859ers, remember the gold rush was 1859, settled in river valleys along the South Platte after the discovery of gold at its confluence with Cherry Creek. One was Benjamin Eaton, a farmer from Iowa who busted out as a miner in the foothills west of Golden. Leaving in 1860 to look for gold in San Juan Mountain country, he turned south into New Mexico. At the junction of the Santa Fe Trail and the Tiles Wagon Road, he learned how to work with water from an Asakia, a community water distribution system on the Maxwell land grant outside of Cimarron. Returning to Colorado in 1864, Eaton cut a similar direct flow irrigation ditch to his homestead farm on the Poudre River between Fort Collins and Greeley. In 
When the 1870 Union Colony settlers came to Greeley area and failed at their first attempt to construct a water system, Eaton helped them build two successful canals. He served in the Colorado legislature, helped craft the water provisions of the state's 1876 constitution, became governor, and launched Well County's sugar beet industry. You may remember that we had discussed Delph Carpenter in episode 30. He gained a thorough knowledge of the South Platte River and specialized in irrigation law as an attorney. Carpenter's love of the mountains, plains, and Colorado's water heritage tracked directly from his parents, as well as statesmen like Eaton. He promoted interstate compacts to solve water matters between states sharing a stream system. After Carpenter left the state Senate and became Colorado's Interstate Streams Commissioner in 1911, he focused on every aspect of negotiation and litigation involving the North Platte and South Platte rivers. He was unable to form a compact with Wyoming and Nebraska on the North Platte and with Wyoming on the Laramie, but he succeeded with Nebraska on the South Platte. Nebraska was amenable to the idea of an interstate compact when conflicts emerged. The resulting negotiations became another successful effort to resolve a water controversy between two or more states in the arid west through such a treaty. Along with the 1922 Colorado River Compact, the South Platte River Compact set the precedent for many more. Before 1890, in the months during the irrigation season when crops needed water to grow, Colorado had fully appropriated the direct flow potential of the South Platte River, but Nebraska's irrigation activities on the river were only starting. Nebraska sued Colorado in 1916 over the South Platte, claiming that irrigated farms in Colorado deprived Nebraska of water at the same time. In response, Carpenter explored the length and breadth of the river in Colorado, evaluating the operation of irrigation ditches. He worked doggedly to negotiate a compact with Nebraska. Carpenter discovered that the South Platte River had distinct upper and lower parts. The upper part included the vast majority of irrigated lands. The lower part benefited from return flows of unconsumed irrigation water draining back into the river where Morgan and Washington counties meet. Below that point, the topography became, in Carpenter's view, an obstacle to further irrigation and reservoir development in Colorado. When Nebraska became convinced that Colorado irrigation actually sweetened the river by retiming flows to provide a steady flow at the state line, it settled for a right to some of the water flowing into Nebraska from Colorado. You may remember that we discussed that about half the water placed on a farm returns to the river. 
either immediately through direct runoff or it seeps into the sand and slowly gets back to the river. So this is what they're talking about by retiming flows. That water may take a month or more to get back to the river, and thus in late season, it's providing water to Nebraska. Between 1916 and 1923, when Nebraska approved and signed the compact, extensive studies revealed the relationship between water use, return flows, and the relative needs of the water users of the two states. The provisions of the South Platte River Compact reflect that understanding, and time seems to have verified its framers' knowledge, discernment, and vision. Between April 1 and October 15 of each year, when the flow at the state line is less than 120 cubic feet per second, the compact requires Colorado to curtail appropriations in the lower part of the river with decrees junior to June 14, 1897, that impacts flows at the state line. This is the appropriation date of the Western Irrigation Canal, which diverts below Julesburg at the state line. Nebraska can fully use the water flowing in Lodgepole Creek above the point of division two miles north of the state's boundary. Colorado is entitled to full and uninterrupted use of the waters of the South Platte at all times between October 15 and April 1 in the lower part of the basin. However, a compact provision allows Nebraska to build the Perkins County Canal, which would divert water near Ovid, Colorado, at a rate of up to 500 cubic feet per second into Nebraska during this same time frame so long as Colorado has been able to divert 35,000 acre-feet prior to this diversion. To date, the Perkins County Canal has not been built. One consequence of the South Platte River Compact is that most Colorado appropriations for irrigation made after June 14, 1897, by ditches below the west line of Washington Canal, have since been abandoned. Wells were later drilled in the South Platte alluvium to supplement limited water supplies. To continue pumping, well owners must replace out-of-priority depletions by sending water to the stream to protect senior ditch rights and maintain water deliveries to Nebraska. To accomplish this replacement, well operators have turned to the compact's October 15 to April 1 period for storing, exchanging, and recharging water into the underground aquifer. Return flows from these wintertime recharge operations flow back into the river during the irrigation season to protect senior rights and the compact. In addition to irrigation water, 
The Platte River in Nebraska provides temporary habitat for migratory birds, including the piping plover, interior least tern, and the whooping crane, and offers year-round habitat for the pallid sturgeon. These species are on the Federal Threatened and Endangered Species list. Therefore, water projects in Colorado that require federal permits to be built or to operate must mitigate impacts to these species. To preserve entitlements under the South Platte River Compacts and provide adequate protection for these birds and fish, officials and water users from Wyoming, Colorado, and Nebraska started meeting again in 1993. Fourteen years of negotiations resulted in the Platte River Recovery Implementation Program adopted in 2006. Since 2007, Colorado, Nebraska, Wyoming, and the U.S. Department of the Interior have collaborated with water and environmental interests to restore and protect important habitat and increase stream flows in Nebraska while preserving the ability to use and develop water in each state. In 2019, federal and state resources were committed to continue the Platte River Recovery Implementation Program through 2032. Okay, that's it for the Platte River Compact. I thought the most interesting part was that Colorado is entitled to full and uninterrupted use of waters in the South Platte at all times between October 15th and April 1st in the lower portion of the basin. Next time, we'll go on to other interesting subjects. We still need to talk about the Arkansas River Compact and find out what that entailed. I ask that you keep listening. Tell your friends about this podcast, because the more of us that know about water, the better. If you are enjoying this podcast, remember that you can always buy me a cup of coffee at our companion website, nowater.com. That's no-water.com. The Platte may be a great river, but I like my favorite mountain stream. Let's go take a listen. See you next time. (laughs) 